spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. And welcome to the 171st Annual Subliminal Deception Podcast, the weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit. My name is Cody. I'm German pal Phil. How are you? Doing, uh, you know, doing as best as I can, Cody. You know, I, I think right off the bat, we just, we have to talk about this. I mean, pretty much a week of just grief around the world. You know, you of course know exactly what I'm talking about. The defeat of the Iowa Hawkeyes to the... Iowa State Cyclones, 10 to 7. It was horrible. Yeah. Everyone's feeling it. I Can I tell you about my adventure in learning the news of this score? So All right. Saturday night, myself and a few friends wanted to really relive the glory days by, you know, going to the bars, right? It was probably like, I don't know. I didn't watch any college football Saturday, probably like 5.30 or 6 or something like that. Went to the bar, and I could see where we're sitting there having a drink, and I could see on one of the 15 TVs in there, Kurt was talking on there, which is usually never a good sign when they're doing a replay of a coach talking. Um, yeah. So I pull out my phone, <laughs> and I saw the score, and all I could think about was how upset you probably were at the moment. Honestly, like realistically, you know, it's – Watching them play and seeing like Kirk Ferentz, he's at the end of his rope. I'm hoping it's just it's time to move on. It he really he he's staying with the quarterback who you know, God that it's just not working out good. So hopefully things change. Honestly, things changed in Nebraska when they lost to Georgia Southern. Scott Frost got fired. So hopefully the few changes happen during the off season. Maybe so. Actually, another ironic thing happened to me as well at this same bar here, Phil. What was that? We so we were playing pool in the back, like it's kind of like the eatery and stuff up front, and you they have games and stuff in the back. So we we're playing pool, and ironically, I don't know, probably like eight people wearing Iowa Hawkeyes gear walked in. Mind you, I was in Wisconsin, and they were all wearing it, and I had had a few drinks, and I was kind of just curious. So I walked over to them, and I just said. What's wrong with the what's wrong with the Hawkeyes? And they just gave me a look. Like they were very annoyed I asked the question. If they were Iowa fans living in Wisconsin, yeah, I you know, just from Wisconsin people's tent like temperament and you know, just natural fucking way about them, I wouldn't even talk to them as a Hawkeyes fan. Not even to commiserate. Just like, all right, I'm just gonna leave those people alone, you know. What? Leave them with their illiteracy and their alcohol <laughs> problems. Leave them alone. I probably should have told them that I was from Iowa as well, but um, they just, the guy there just said one word and he said Petrus. Is that his last name? That's the quarterback's last name. Okay. Yeah. Spencer Petrus. That's all he said. He just said Petrus and then they went about their business. So I, I had no, I had heard that name before, but yeah, it was just kind of 
a weird series of events that transpired at that watering hole. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's, you know, usually the the Hawkeyes are pretty pretty good usually every year, year in, year out. I There's a lot of teams, ranked teams that got beaten. Yeah, I was going to say they probably thought that you were a Badgers fan. And like living down here in Phoenix, basically there's a Hawkeyes bar that we go to that also is a Wisconsin bar when the Wisconsin Badgers are playing or Green Bay Packers. And whenever there's a game between Iowa and Wisconsin, those fans are always just the most terrible to have in there. It's <laughs> it's honestly uh, fucking they'll they'll walk up to your table and try to start a fight with. Sounds about that sounds like badger behavior. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. Yeah. I it's something that I haven't seen out of the Hawkeyes in fuckville. I don't even know. It's been over a decade since yeah. they've been this fucking bad. Yeah. yeah but I, I mean, no one gives a fuck about that. We should probably talk about the bigger news. So Queen Elizabeth, you know, possibly a reptilian may have shed her skin and went back down to the underworld. Uh, not with us anymore. So what do you think about that? What have you what have you been hearing? Yeah, it's I actually remember this day vividly. Obviously, I don't I've never been that deeply involved with the or deeply interested in the royal family. But yeah, that that morning, the girl, there's a girl I work with, and apparently she must pay attention to the royal family. There is some news report saying, why are all these flowers headed for the castle and or something like that? And they're like, oh, maybe the queen is dying or something. And then like two hours later, I checked my phone and the news report had just came out that she was dead. And it was uh, and then, of course, 20 minutes after that, the Internet was flooded with memes and people saying a lot of mean stuff about her. And, uh, you know, that's I guess that's the story of the Internet. Yeah, nice and not so nice things about uh, about her. But, yeah, that's just a general, you know, how the Internet is. So you have to kind of expect it. But yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. It would be weird, actually, if I was still living there now to kind of see it, because I remember I was there in 2012 during I believe it was the Diamond Jubilee and how many, you know, all the flags and how much like love all, all the people seem to have for. Her. So there's also a lot of people, though, in that country. It's not all people who love, you know, the royal family. There's a lot of people who want to, you know, put them on the unemployment line, too. So, right. Yeah, it's. I, I don't know. I remember when I was visiting you there, I was kind of shocked about all the like royal family stuff. But I mean, they're kind of like not like a reality show family, but they it's kind of what people treat them like, isn't it? Yeah, their merch is getting hawked pretty much around the country. So anywhere you go, you can find, you know, plates and coins and all that stuff. So they're on shot glasses. They're on everything. T-shirts and whatnot. I saw some super woke people, man, they were coming out in droves for her death. So there was some internet interesting comments left by them. that were trying to direct the attention on themselves over her death. But, uh, did you, did you see any of those? I don't really try to pay attention much to the internet people or those types on the internet. Um, you know, you just try to like, try to live not in your own world kind of deal, but you know, away from theirs. Right. The kind of people who make everything about themselves for their own little like gain. Um, but, yeah, I, yeah, I did. I did see some some uh, things on Instagram about it. OK, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting thing. But yeah, I I go on Reddit way too much. And 
Reddit's just, you know, they it won't matter who dies. Two minutes after they're dead, the memes are coming out in droves. <laughs> this the thing I heard the most was, oh, the queen's gonna or Diane's gonna get revenge finally. And I'm like, <sighs> okay. I mean, we and we covered it, you know. I and I was like, I don't really think she had anything to do with it, but of course, uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. So, um, yeah, I, in the conspiracy world, it's a different story. Yeah, uh, yeah, they they love to hold on to that one. Yeah, but uh, but anyway, enough about Queen and the Iowa Hawkeyes. What you go ahead and uh, take us on a little adventure here, Phil. All right, Blackhawk, Custer, Pontiac, and Jackson. Many military and civilian figures have ascended to historical prominence and near folk hero status during the gradual and horrific westward expansion of the United States. This result coming from the many battles and raids that have occurred throughout the 18th and 19th century. Once spread across the entirety of the Western Hemisphere, the Native Americans, who made up nations and tribes that had inhabited every corner of North America, would eventually be pushed off of their own territories and forced largely onto reservations, placed mostly on undesirable lands for the benefit of state expansion and future civilian settlement. So obviously what I'm about to say is completely off base for what you were just talking about there. But did you listen to the crime and sports episode um, from last Tuesday? Uh, Daryl Strawberry? No, it was some guy who never even made it into the NFL. Oh, yes. Yeah, no, that was from, yeah, yesterday. So, God, I, I keep thinking it's Thursday. Um, but anyway, so I w- couldn't quit laughing when I heard the the name of the, the fucking arena football team called the <laughs> Omaha Beef, right? Yeah. So... I- <laughs> So I kept looking at this stuff and me and my coworker kept looking at like the Ohio beef uh, merch. Like they have a shirt that said um, fucking beef football and all this shit. It was really ridiculous. But I just happened to see their 2021 CIF Offensive Player of the Year. Ironically, he is a overweight quarterback by the name of Andrew Jackson. Oh, nice. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Holy fuck. I couldn't go laugh. I'm like, come on, guys. You have to know you can't name your kid Andrew Jackson. Yeah. Maybe a hundred years ago it would have been fine. But I'm sure actually anyone with the last name Jackson a hundred years ago, if they had a boy, they would name their kid Andrew Jackson. So he was a pretty popular figure up until the, you know, most of the things kind of came out about him. And it wasn't very cool to, you know. Some people still like to promote him, though. People like fight to keep on the twenty dollar bill and everything. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I just when I saw that, I'm just like, oh my god. But, uh, <laughs> but back to what you were saying here. Ironically, I was talking about a lot of this stuff today because I decided to give a new, uh, what would you call it, avenue of podcast listening into like some history, and yeah. I was. Gonna listen to some hardcore history, and then we kind of got into talking about wars, more in, in most interesting wars, and then it kind of got into. I'm guessing what you're gonna be talking about today. 
not really. I mean, I'm going to be talking about just him and then something that comes along with him. So gotcha. Okay. It's just, it's funny because this is like a, we seem to have these coincidences where like I'm talking about something, the subject that you're writing on that I have no idea we're going to talk about. And then it just kind of, we're sitting here and I was literally talking about native American and reservations and the like Indian war and all this shit today. And then like, you're literally talking about stuff kind of uh, like about, you know, around that. Yeah. Largely the topic of this episode is going to be Tecumseh, but it's mostly about kind of like a curse that comes like after his death. So gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Now, when it comes to the history of North America and the expansion of the European colonizers throughout the continent, the story really cannot be told without highlighting the fierce and noble resistance from those original inhabitants, with one man having spent his whole life attempting to unite all Native people in opposition to the United States' Western expansion, eventually giving his life for the cause. However, did this man's fervent defiance and perhaps hatred towards one enemy in particular fuel a curse that lasted nearly two centuries and saw the death of seven United States presidents. And that is the topic for today's episode, as we look into the life of one of the greatest resistors against American westward expansion and ask if there is any truce to the curse of Tippecanoe, also known as the curse of Tecumseh. Okay, you know what? You know me, Phil, love a good curse. Um, I guess we would have to ask the experts on post-death curses the Japanese and Chinese people, they, like, the, is speaking from, like, uh, horror movies and stuff like that, like, the post-death anger of a spirit is very powerful. Now, I mean... In, in their culture? Well, I mean, I would assume so, since that's the 90% of the movies they, I mean, you think about how many American movies have demons in them, right? Yeah, that's obviously preying on what Americans think is real and scary. So I would assume so. But that was a big thing, right? You die tragically. You die with a strong emotion. Uh, maybe you're you're still there. You're still you have enough I don't, energy to cause a curse or something. I don't really know. Yeah, your post-Mormon hatred just fucking fuels this curse that can last for a long time. Like, yeah. like let's, let's, even even kind of going against not only the person it was aimed for, but then also people kind of in the periphery, too. So I would put it like this, Phil. If you were to have tragically passed away last Sunday, I would assume the Iowa Hawkeyes would be cursed for 200 plus years. Maybe just Kirk Ferentz, okay. possibly him. <laughs> so maybe maybe when he's not the coach anymore. The- <laughs> His... You'll curse him so hard his fucking hair will go back to normal color. He's been cursing our goddamn team for too long. (laughs) Now, like always, we are going to start this episode off with a little bit of history. And when I say a little bit of history, I mean about three and a half scripted pages. Okay. Well, here we go. (laughs) You know what? Uh, Like I said, I've been having an itch for history and uh, I'm ready to hear it. All right. Beginning with the first arrivals of the European explorers and eventual North American settlers, plague and disease ravished the Native American peoples wherever the colonizer's ships had happened to land. 
allowing for the softening of future resistance to the eventual expansion beyond the coastal regions of the North American continent. With France and England making up the largest colonizers on the East Coast and in the Hudson Bay area, these two superpowers would often collide, attempting to assert dominance over an ever larger portion of the region, using the many tribes and nations in those areas as pawns against each other, until the French and Indian Wars, known as the Seven Years' War in Europe, which culminated in the ending to any claim that the French had had over what is now known as Northeastern Canada or the Hudson Bay area. Okay, yeah, I was just get, I was literally just going to ask you that. I was like, the, Fr- the French, they were trying to do their thing up in Canada, kind of. And yes. that's why there's so many uh, French-speaking people up there. So when you said they used them as pawns against each other, does that mean they kind of... Uh, what would you call it? So they either allied with or hired certain tribes or like entire like nations of uh, native peoples to fight the wars for them, especially in areas that were considered frontier areas. So you might have just a few like uniform troops in that area and your basic like army in that region will be made up of native forces. So it's almost like two native forces going against each other. This was big gotcha. in the French and Indian Wars, Revolutionary War, and the War of 1812. I mean... Though though the United States didn't really get the opportunity to use native forces as much as England and France did, just because of how very unpopular the United States was for obvious reasons with the native population. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, uh, the United States of America has been using this tactic in other countries since post-Vietnam. Oh, yeah, this is I mean, this is standard operating procedure for most, you know, colonizing countries. And they got everything that they learned from the British. So, oh, did they? Pretty, pretty normal kind of, you know, you got to think most of the military men of the United States of that time were brought up by the British, you know, the British system. And that's definitely their fucking modus operandi when dealing with colonized lands and colonized people like Maybe you can agree or disagree, but I feel like so many people have no idea the United States does stuff like this. Like, I mean, I'll be honest, like the uh, Al-Qaeda and stuff, right? I didn't have any fucking idea that they were paying this group to fight Russia when they're invading Afghanistan. (laughs) Like, You know what I mean? Like, it's... Oh, yeah. Well, it wasn't known as Al-Qaeda back then. It was kind of the seeds of Al-Qaeda, the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. Yeah, but I'm I'm saying like paying a militia group to fight against their quote unquote ultimate enemy. Yeah. So like now this is known as proxy wars. So basically when you get like one group that's kind of like either allied with you or you're in control of, you basically get them to fight the war for you. It's happening in I believe it's in Syria right now. What's that? Syria. Well, I don't know if it still happened in Syria. So one of the big ones over the last few years was in Yemen, where Saudi Arabia and I believe Yemen were fighting each other. Either Yemen or Oman, I'm not sure which one. Yemen and Saudi Arabia fighting each other, but the United States was backing Saudi Arabia and the Iranians were backing Yemen. I wouldn't say it's the same, but they're <laughs> they're gifting Ukraine an awful lot of high weaponry. Uh, as are a lot of countries to fight 
with Russia. With Russia, I mean, do you know what I oh, mean? Oh yeah, I mean definitely. There, that, that sort of stuff happens too. Yeah, yeah. I, obviously we aren't like, oh, Russia just take it back, but it's just the second they invaded, all these allied countries just dumping mass amounts of firearms and weaponry on them. It is nice to actually see us supplying an army with the will to fight and who has a noble cause. It's, right. it's nice that we're not just handing guns to an army that's just going to drop them the moment that another, you know, armed force comes against them. Like what happened in <laughs> Iraq. Right, so, right. Dropping your guns and stripping your uniforms off the moment you see anyone coming at you with, you know, guns. Right. Pretty much. Right. Now, born during this struggle around the year 1768, Tecumseh, born in the lands now known as Ohio which at the time had been disputed land between many groups of Native Americans, including the Shawnee people and the Iroquois people. Both great nations had been losing lands to colonial expansion, and Tecumseh had come up during a time of great change for his people, with the Americans fighting and winning the Revolutionary War against their home country of England. Now, during his childhood and teenage years, a change in policy had been taking a place against the natives living west of the Appalachians, where previous policy from England had been that the American colonists would not be allowed to expand west into native territory. The new United States government had a very drastic change to policy. They actually promoted expansion for civilians past the Appalachians into the territory known as the Great Lakes region, which was actually won as a result of the American Revolution from England. Okay. Um, was it who who decided to allow them to expand that far? Who specifically well, decided? I, I don't know. I'm just saying it just the government overall decide like was this right at the brink of like post revolutionary war or was it like quite, oh, oh, quite gotcha. a bit afterward. Okay. So there are different reasons why, you know, the colonies went to war with England. They're, you know, kind of just your basic gripes about being a colony of a world power. Um, you're kind of restricted economically. There's also, you know, a money supply situation. There was taxation without representation. There was also not being allowed to kind of go out west, but also, you know, down south too. Really, a lot of the American colonists, they wanted to move out there, but England did not want American colonists out in those regions because they, they're already becoming like too powerful, too independent. When you have people living on the coast, you can still control them very easily. England, obviously, greatest navy at the time. It's very easy to control your populations from the coast. Once they start getting inland, especially past the Appalachian Mountains, they're pretty much on their own. So, Gotcha. Okay. I was like, oh, maybe they respected the indigenous people and didn't want to take over any more of their land, but it's completely irrelevant to why they decided not to go that way initially. I mean, they may have as that, but I highly, I highly doubt any of them actually gave a single fuck. You know, they were just like the French. I mean, the French were even nicer than the British were, and the French didn't really care either. The French were using them, mostly for hunting parties, for fur, and for trading. But they were always giving the native people like really bad deals, just like the British were. 
with, you know, with uh, their furs and stuff like that. So selling them, you know, shit guns and bad hardware, uh, stuff that the, even the stuff that they couldn't even sell the colonials, they would try to sell to the natives basically. So they really, I doubt they gave a fuck about native peoples in North America. They were definitely the Walmart of their day. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, the best stuff was staying at home. Um, in the home country, the homeland, then kind of the, you know, the shittier stuff was going out to the colonies. Then the worst stuff was being pawned off on the natives who were actually bringing them very like furs and, you know, game and all that stuff. So gotcha. Okay. Tecumseh was born the fifth child of eight to his mother, Methatoski. I'm sorry for the pronunciation. It, it's very hard word to say. And his father, Pukashawino whom had moved to Ohio after meeting and marrying in what is now known as Alabama. Roll Tide. Roll Tide, (laughs) definitely. I do believe, though, that, you know, they were uh, not first or second cousins, where many of the Shawnee people had moved to after being kicked out of Ohio by the Iroquois. After losing in the 1600s after the French and Iroquois War with his parents moving back to join in a movement to reunite the Shawnee people to their home Ohio during the 1750s. So, okay, they met in Alabama, moved to Ohio. Yes, okay. definitely. Um, you know what's interesting about Alabama? I was watching the, the Vikings kind of do this I don't know if it's like weekly or bi-weekly during the season where it's like an ex-player goes around and asks the, the current players like kind of a random question or whatever. And there's yeah. an episode where he was like, if you could remove one football team from college football, like they just weren't allowed to play anymore. What do you think the number one answer out of everybody was? Well, if it's going with the story, I'm guessing it's either Alabama or maybe Georgia. It was Alabama, just because they yep. are so dominant and everybody's sick of it. Yeah, it would be actually nice if you could just have Alabama, maybe until Nick Saban leaves, just have them play in the NFL, see how they do. You know, <laughs> that'd be kind of cool. Well, I don't think Nick Saban can make it in the NFL because he already tried, but it'd be kind of nice to see him try again, I guess. Yeah, with the with Alabama's you know, football team with the Crimson Tide, <laughs> have them actually play NFL teams. I think they do pretty well. I think... You know, wild card team, us. Really? I'm pretty sure they'd get smoked by the Cleveland Browns. No, I think they would do fine. I think <laughs> they they got some they they got uh they got a pretty good assortment of blue chips. Even their bench guys could probably play on a lot of the fucking shitty NFL team. So eh, that's true. That is true. Tecumseh's father, Pukachuino, was a tribal chief. He actually had been killed in 1774 while fighting with colonial settlers during the Battle of Point Pleasant. This was after the Iroquois, which, as I mentioned, had originally pushed the Shawnee out of the Ohio River Valley during the Beaver War, had ceded land south of the Ohio River, which caused the Shawnee and other native peoples in the region to resist the occupation by the new settlers. Actually, the Shawnee had used Kentucky for seasonal hunting grounds, and had actually themselves ceded the territory to the United States after the battle that had killed Tecumseh's father. Uh, You know, honestly, Phil, let me know how you feel. If they would change the name of the Bachelorette to the Beaver War, I I feel like you'd get more more watchers, more, more people into it. 
Yeah, it might actually be the best fucking show on TV. Like everyone would be like watching about it, you know, watching it, talking about it and all that shit. So the Beaver Wars. <laughs> I imagine it would be a History Channel show about like fur trappers or something. If if you told me like there's a show called the Beaver Wars, I'd be like, oh, it's probably about like fucking Canadian fur trappers or something like that. Like, or Wisconsinite fur trappers. Like literally swamp people. They have Canadian hillbillies, teeth missing potentially half addicted to methamphetamine but they're like weirdly rich you ever notice that on that show like they're very hillbilly and they do weird shit but then all of a sudden they like kind of have like a nice house and stuff yeah they have a nice house and they have all this money and shit you're like well where the fuck did this money come from yeah a lot of i think canada has regions just like the united states has alaska where rich people who get in trouble kind of like escape to with all of their you know their ill-gotten gains pretty much. Well, what I was saying is I actually think the like alligator hunters and underwater loggers or whatever, I think they actually make a lot of money doing that job, but their character is a backwoods Cajun hillbilly. Oh, like the duck dynasty people. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. With less racism. Yeah. That was just kind of a care. The characters that they made up. For, they were all kind of like business dudes before they came up with the uh, the duck calls, supposedly. I can say one thing confidently, Phil. In Iowa, duck men were not very popular. In Minnesota, duck hunters? I There's something else. <laughs> I, I, that's all I can say. Like, they just casually talk about getting annoyed someone's hunting in the same pond as them, so they shoot their gun at them. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? <laughs> While they're probably trespassing on someone else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. swear to God. Like, you think I'm joking, audience? I swear to God, I've heard this story because they sure they had they shoot uh, bird shot out of their shotgun. So it's just like a bunch of BBs and it doesn't go very far. So they like actually shoot at each other. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine it. Some parts of Minnesota out in the range. It's just a fucking duck for guys. Come on. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, continue on here. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna continue. So after his father's death, Tecumseh would be forced to move westward, more deeper into Ohio, as many of his people had allied with the British and taken up arms against the American colonists, with the Shawnee warriors invading south into Kentucky to raid the homes of the colonial settlers, mostly in an effort to dislodge Kentuckians from their lands. I I can't think of anything. I was like, you know, the only thing that comes to my my mind when I hear Kentuckians is our our dear old yeah. boss. Well, that's what I was gonna say. You know, Jimmy Dar he wasn't getting dislodged from anywhere. So imagine he would have been out there back yeah. then. He would have been out there. <laughs> He's a stout man. It'd be hard to get him out the door. That's true. Now, the leader of the Kentucky militia, in turn, General George Rogers Clark, a very Kentuckian name, invaded Ohio. Now, the Shawnee-held lands were invaded by the militia, and they villages and pushed survivors even further west, with Tecumseh too young to fight, following his people on the run from the militia. And you can imagine a lot of the warriors were off fighting in Kentucky. So there wasn't many people left to fight uh, General George Rogers Clark. Ooh, so he, as a child, basically, so so far this guy, Tecumseh, basically the only thing he's known most of his life is war. And the, you know, colonists 
just kind of invading and slaughtering his people. Yeah. So he was born during what was thought of as like a time for peace for his people. Um, kind of like the 10 years between, I believe it was the Pontiac war and this, you know, immigration of people into Kentucky, kind of like the first waves. You got to remember too. So I mentioned that the British weren't allowing people like west of the Appalachians. These people were illegally moving into uh, like Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio. Um, all these encroachers weren't really allowed by the British, but the British didn't really have a lot of control out there, which is why they were hiring and allying with a lot of these Native Americans to do a lot of their frontier fight. Gotcha. Okay. Now, I was yeah. just curious because obviously – from my understanding, obviously, there's a lot of native tribes and some of the tribes were more aggressive and hostile towards other native tribes than um, others. Was Is this kind of how maybe the Shawnee were a little more peaceful and the Iroquois were a little more aggressive tribe? Is that kind of how I, I was reading that initially? So there were a lot, like when you talk about like Iroquois and Shawnee, you're not talking about like one united group. You're talking about a lot of different like little tribes yeah. and bands and yeah, a lot of different communities inside. But I do believe that the Iroquois were considered to be like more hostile of a group than the Shawnee were, like at large. Like you at know, on average, I believe it, it was the Iroquois were more um more hostile than the shock. I yeah. mean, just from reading this, that's kind of the impression I got. Um, yeah, obviously, there's like, I, I was trying to explain this to somebody today where it's like you have the Iroquois, which have like a huge swath of land, and then there's just a bunch of little tribes built within that. So I don't know how they decide to decide all that, but um, but yeah, it's like obviously the Sioux, or I, I don't even know if you call them that anymore. I apologize. But they're big around like Minnesota, the Dakotas, and they were known, from my recollection, for being kind of an aggressive tribe. Yeah, I think the ones that were considered, well, this was, I mean, so this is the time of the American Revolution. American Revolution. At that time, the West was considered anything like West of the Appalachians. Also, Maine and like Vermont were considered like the West. So a lot of people, when they think of like Native Americans and, you know, which ones were more aggressive, they think of like way out West, like Arizona, Nevada, like those regions, like the Apache. I, and I, I guess what I'm saying is, OK, we're going back to a time white people weren't here. OK, who were English or whatever, just the natives. Like yeah. them warring with each other. That's what oh, I'm before, talking about. Be before the, the Europeans came in. Yes. Sorry. I should have clarified that. I'm talking about like with it, when it was just natives in America, like the tribes that would assault the other tribes, like that type of aggressive. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it did look, there was a lot of difference between kind of like the, the native American peoples like West of the Appalachians and east of the Appalachians. Um, there was a lot of, you know, when people think about Native Americans, they think of them as like more nomadic, kind of like going around really before the Europeans showed up. A lot of, like there was a lot of villages and a lot of trading going on. There was war. There was, you know, kind of like rivalry, just like with any human group. But it was more kind of like they were more settled. And then when the when the Europeans came, they brought a lot of disease, yeah. which actually caused a lot of these like native peoples and their their groups to have to become more nomadic 
and kind of be almost on the run. So, but uh, yeah, okay, yeah, I should have clarified that. I was just saying, I would assume some of the tribes were a lot more apt at fighting than some of the other ones. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's different temperaments among, you know, people from Wisconsin and people from Minnesota. <laughs> people from Minnesota read and people from Wisconsin, you know, don't. So, you know, it's just like that. Like They're so close to each other, but they're so different. It'd be much the same where some are more apt to fight, some are more apt to trade, you know, kind of like what your traditions are, what the, your, you know. The other thing, ethos. the thing here is to like um, Kentucky, Ohio, they're fighting there, right? Like... Those two states still don't like each other. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they don't like they don't like their next door neighbors in Kentucky. So very true. Now, after the end of the war, a now adult Tecumseh would be mentored by his oldest brother, Chizaku, who had become himself a tribal chief. And actually, Tecumseh would join him in attacking American settlers coming into the Ohio Territory. After the British had lost their holdings west of the Appalachians after the end of the Revolutionary War. During this time in his life, Tecumseh would join in the fighting during the Northwest Indian Wars under the leadership of Shawnee War Chief, the legendary Blue Jacket, fighting American militiamen in the Ohio countryside in 1791. Eventually, though, he would lose his eldest brother, Chizaku, who was killed himself by a Kentucky militiaman near present-day Nashville in 1792. Oh, poor Chizaku. I wanted to ask, so I don't know if you even know with the tribal becoming a chief and stuff, is it kind of like a monarchy where it's like the son will become it, or is it the tribe chooses who's going to be the next chief? Well, I don't exactly know the politics of like people or specific group. But it seems like, so his father was a tribal chief. His brother, Chizaku, is a tribal chief. Uh, oh, spoiler, he eventually becomes a tribal chief, obviously. And his sister is considered like a female tribal chief. Like the most important woman in the tribe, pretty much, next to him. Most okay. important person. So it is kind of like a family thing. Also, his younger brother becomes like a very important prophet. Uh, so it does seem like his family line does hold some kind of certain you know, hierarchy in the group. Okay. Interesting. I was just curious. I, I had no idea. In the band that he is the chief of, the war chief and eventually civilian chief of, basically there's only maybe like 1,500 people. So it's not like a ton of people. It's kind of like being made mayor. You know? Okay. Okay. He didn't, he didn't have much to run against maybe, but his family does seem to hold sway over this for an extended period of time. I mean, if they trusted his father, I'd assume his father taught him and his siblings how to lead and all of that. So, yeah, they probably figured it, you know, it rubs off just like, well, now they, you know, you assume if if somebody's dad is like really good quarterback, they assume the kid's going to be really good at it, even though they've never seen him throw a ball before. So (laughs) very true. (laughs) Yeah. Now, during the 1790s, Tecumseh would keep fighting against the American expansion raising his own reputation within his community, eventually, like I just mentioned, becoming the chief of his people, with his younger brother also seeing his status elevated, becoming a very popular speaker and eventually a prophet, advocating against Native people imbibing in alcohol. Also, he protested against Native people copying the dress and lifestyle of the American culture, 
His brother, Tecumseh, would also join him in these beliefs, while also advocating himself for resistance against signing any treaties with the Americans, instead banding together in a confederacy rather than being taken out separately, which had been happening up until that point. Are we sure Tecumseh's brother isn't actually Joseph Smith? Possibly. You know, a lot of I I doubt it because Joseph Smith really didn't. So it's maybe one of one of the one of the strong things he kind of rallied, against, especially when they lived out in Utah. Probably because he stole the the ideas. I mean, not drinking alcohol and not dressing like American culture. I mean that that's uh, the LDS Church to a to a T. There, I actually saw this video today. They were at BYU asking students if they would rather. Uh, what was it? Would they rather die a horrible death or be forced to watch a porno? Take a guess which one they answered. I'm sure all of those people, Utah is one of the like states that watches the most porn per capita. It's like, it's kind of known for that, like Pornhub. They take all the metrics and everything. They say Utah actually watches the most porn. So I'm guessing, you know, for the profit, they probably said, you know, it's horrible uh, death. <laughs> they would rather have a noble death than watch porn. But I'm guessing in real life, they've just got done jerking off. So. <laughs> Pretty much. Very true. I would I, I did I did kind of slip up there. So Joseph Smith, I believe, died before they got to Utah, but I think it was Brigham Young who kind of took the fight to the Native Americans the when ship they were out. Master. Yeah. He got him out there. Eventually, Tecumseh and his brother, now known as the Prophet Tenskwatado, a name which meant the open door, and I apologize I butchered that very badly, would build what would become known as Prophet's Town. This name would be known by the regional inhabitants of present-day Indiana, where the town was located. The brothers' message would actually bring in over 6,000 natives to the settlement, which would become the largest city in the area. This would be located on the junction of the Wabash and Tippecanoe Rivers, near present-day Lafayette, Indiana. Interesting. Never heard of... uh, Have I heard of Lafayette? Maybe. Is it a big city you know? I don't know. I mean, I have heard of Lafayette, Indiana before. So it's, I mean, in my mind, it's like, is there a major Big Ten college university? That's kind of <laughs> what I think of whenever, <laughs> like, is it? It's not, it's not fucking South Bend, you know, like that, that sort of thing. So, well, I, I feel like I've heard of it also. There's like 9 million Lafayettes in America. Oh, yeah, definitely. Anywhere the French stepped, there's a Lafayette. Right. So. Now, this joining of the native peoples would really put them into the crosshairs of the United States government. Uh, before this, Tecumseh wasn't really well known at all until he kind of started bringing native peoples together, which was, you know, very much against United States government Indian policy at that time. Okay. It's, I, I, I'm not getting a good feeling here about what you're about to say. Yeah, it's coming up here. So during their time in Prophetstown, Tecumseh and his brother would advocate for peace and coexistence with the United States government and the American people at large, though that would come to an end when in September of 1809, the Treaty of Fort Wayne would be signed, putting Tecumseh at odds with the man whose reputation would be built on the foundation of quelling Indian resistance in the West. This was Indiana Territory Governor William Henry Harrison. In 1809, they signed the treaty that actually saw millions of acres of land 
in what is now Indiana and Illinois sold to the United States government, with the natives that had actually used that land purposefully excluded from the bargaining table. Yeah, this is the terrible shit the the U.S. government had done in the past. Um, William Henry Harrison, okay, does he become... Yes, he does. He's a president, right, later, or... Yep. Okay. Yep, he's a president. Okay, that's... I know I've heard that name before, but now... Okay, this makes sense. Yeah, he's not a very famous president, but he does win the president. So, it's kind of... It's kind of a trick that the United States will use over and over again, where basically they want to land in, you know, the region. There's many different Native American, like, tribes and peoples inhabiting that land, so they'll find some guy, put a crown on his head, and say, all right, now you, sign us over this land. And he signs over a whole swath of land that he has no control over or vested interest in. So basically all these people find out, you know, when the military shows up, that it was sold and they got none of the profits and the money that was, you know, supposedly used to buy the land never existed in the first place. There was no money exchanged. It was just, you know. Gotcha. Okay. That's uh, quite the sleight of hand there. Basically. Yeah. I mean, and then, you know, they would be moved off to different lands and then that land would, you know, someone would find gold like the Black Hills. They would find gold in that land and then they would be pushed out of that land too. Just Treaties broken, you know, one after another. So <sighs> real dickhead shit. Definitely. So Harrison, who opposed Tecumseh's position that the treaty that had just been signed in 1809 that had given away Native American lands to the United States was illegal and needed to be revoked. He had actually met with Tecumseh in 1810 in what was then Indiana Territory's capital of Vincennes, with Tecumseh warning Harrison that President Madison needed to revoke the Treaty of Fort Wayne, and if he didn't, severe consequences and conflict would ensue. So, is, is the president not aware this was going on? Oh, no, I'm sure, you know, I mean, it's it's not like he was doing it firsthand. It's not like this was, you know, the big thing on his agenda that day, but it was all kind of happening in the periphery. So, gotcha. I imagine it was made legal by President Madison. You know, anything to get, you know, more land. And also, they considered this land theirs in the first place. So, Okay, are you talking about Henry Harrison? I'm talking about the United States government already wow. considered that land theirs because they won it from the British. But gotcha. they were kind of trying to get it from the Native American. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Yeah. They didn't really consider the Native Americans of the Yeah. They consider I... them more like the inhabitants. So. Yeah, how how things end up, you know, in the in the future there, it's pretty obvious they didn't consider them uh, as citizens here. Yeah, they were basically just using any means necessary to make, you know, legal attempts to get the land. And if they couldn't get it by legal means, they took it by force. So. Right, right. Now, now, as you can imagine, President Madison did not revoke any part of the treaty that had been favorable to the American citizens. Hearing this news would send Tecumseh on a journey around the American Western frontiers, traveling thousands of miles to gather support for an Indian Confederacy that would stand up against the American government. So he's trying to get just all of them to to take him out, because I'm sure they have plenty in numbers, right? Well, yeah, if if they could all fight together and kind of pool their resources, they would have a much better chance than if the, you know, 
a single tribe or a single nation stood up against the American people, American military. Right, right. Now, Tecumseh once again would meet with William Henry Harrison at Vicines, warning him that he was forming a great federation and he had amassed them to stand against further expansion. With Tecumseh spending after the meeting another six months traveling around the American West and even Canada, trying to drum up ever more support from natives. He even unsuccessfully attempted to gain British support against the United States from locations in Canada, though they really were kind of lukewarm about the whole idea. As Tecumseh, in doing this, had told Harrison during that meeting that he would be away Prophet's town for six months. This gave Governor Harrison the opportunity to strike Prophet's town. Uh-oh. Okay, this, uh, this is definitely not going to be good. Yeah, he basically found out that their military leader was going to be out of town. So that's when he decided to go after them. This guy, this Henry Harrison's uh, a real dickhead. Yeah, I mean, this is a real defining moment in the career of William Henry. Harrison. This this is everything for him right here. He's definitely got his George Bush moment right now, doesn't he? <laughs> or Dick Cheney. Yeah, George, moment, sorry. George Dick- Bush didn't really have an ascension moment like this. George Bush. George W. Bush just kind of was born to a, a you know, powerful guy. So <laughs> Sorry. unless you were talking about George H.W. Bush, then I, uh, I, I his, should, his came during World War Two. I should say uh, Cheney. He's having his Cheney moment right here. Henry Harrison. Oh, the buildup. Yeah, he's in the buildup like uh, like when Cheney was, uh, you know, fucking the world back when he was in the <laughs> Bush administration. Now, Harrison. Approaching Prophetstown with about 1,000 troops was actually met by warriors from the city of Prophetstown. They had been ordered to attack by Tecumseh's brother, the Prophet. This was while they were encamped just outside the city on November 7th of 1811. This event would become known as the Battle of Tippecanoe, with Harrison and his troops actually defeating the native warriors eventually advancing onto Prophetstown the very next day. They raised the city to the ground. William Henry Harrison, from a result of this, would find legendary status afterward, becoming a cult hero for his victory against the combined native forces. So wasn't there like almost 6,000 people here at Prophetstown? I suppose they weren't all warriors, but... Um... No, they weren't. Yeah, they weren't all warriors. They were uh, people just living in this town. His brother had rounded up as many people as he could to go out and fight them. Uh, It might have been smarter just to wait until they got there and then defend from there. But they wanted to do a surprise attack. But Harrison's forces held their ground and they got pushed back. And instead of running back to the city, they pretty much were run off. So all of the city's defenses were gone the next day. Do we have numbers for Prophetstown's forces? I believe it said it was, I don't have it written down here. I believe it said it was 1500 about. Okay. All right. Uh, Okay. So I am, I mean, I, I don't know for sure, but I would assume the Amer or Henry Harrison's troops probably had, um, more advanced weaponry. Well, I mean, I mean, it's not like they were just using bow and arrow and, you know, I mean, they had guns too. Um, and also this was a militia. So it was the governor of Indiana going in with troops. I don't know exactly how much if they had, you know, cannons or anything back then. 
Like, I believe Gatling guns were pretty far off into the future, so I don't think they had any of that. So, I mean, really, at the time, probably pretty similar, you know, weaponry. Hmm, okay. You know, honestly, though, if we think about it, do you know how many people live in the United States right right now wish they were Henry Harrison and had their own militia and they could just kind of conquer or attack whatever they felt like? Not saying, like, Native Americans, but I'm just saying... Like, all the people you see with, like, militias now, they wish they could do something like this. Oh, yeah, they totally, I mean, they probably jerk off to it at night just thinking about, you know. <laughs> Let's go conquer that, that 7-Eleven. Go and conquer a shit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Going into the big city and getting all the libtards. <sighs> yeah, there you yeah. go. <laughs> Pretty much. Now, this battle and the events that happened afterwards is actually the origin story for the curse that we are talking about for today's episode. The curse is known as the Curse of Tecumseh or the Curse of Tippecanoe, also known as the Zero Year Curse for how it's affecting the presidents. Now, before we get into the end of you know Tecumseh's life and the legacy that really came after his death, we're going to look into what exactly the Curse of Tecumseh is and how has it affected the office of president. Okay, I'm genuinely curious how this uh, how this is going to get him. Definitely, yeah. So the actual curse is thought to have been set on William Henry Harrison by Tecumseh's brother, Tenshawada, the prophet. And this was for burning Prophetstown to the ground and defeating him in the Battle of Tippecanoe. Uh, there are other, you know, kind of origin stories for this curse um, basically coming after Tecumseh's death, kind of like with his final words um, for defeating him and his confederacy. Uh, Basically, what this is doing is any president that was elected in a zero year, like 1820, 1840, 1860, all died in office. And it started with William Henry Harrison. Okay. All right. So, yeah, I guess it would make more sense, you know, Tecumseh's brother or made the curse, right? Because he was the, the I got under the prophet, the magical one. Yeah, definitely. And there was also kind of like a, uh, to the Confederacy, there was also a bit of like, you know, almost like prophetical or magic kind of like an aura put around it. Um, 1811, there was a great comet that was seen for, I believe, over a hundred days. So really that was kind of seen as a sign. Also the new Madrid earthquake was also seen as like a sign that this confederacy needed to happen. Almost like the the gods were kind of like willing this forward. Okay. Uh I mean it probably would have helped helped them quite a bit. I I feel like even if it has good intentions, anything with the blank confederacy, you know, as an American just doesn't sound great. Well now it doesn't sound great. <laughs> yeah. So a confederacy a confederacy is just a form of government. Uh, the United States actually started off as uh, before it became a federation. Um, there's the Confederacy. Well, in Star Wars, there's a Confederacy. Basically, it just means that the states have more power than the main government. So imagine if instead of there being like the main government having the military, each state has its own military. And then if it wanted to fight against someone, they would send their armies to go fight. You know, it's almost kind of like the European Union is kind of like a set up like a confederacy. Well, I mean, this probably explains why the South likes confederacy so much, because I guarantee they wish they could do that. 
Well, yeah, they wanted states' rights. That's why they went with a confederacy. So well, it's, I'm the, the name confederacy has, you know, been tainted by the Civil War. It's just basically a, you know, a system of government, really. Well, I'm just saying, I meant more in modern times. Do you know how happy Texas probably would be if they could have their own troops and gen just do whatever they wanted? Oh, they want to be their own country. Yeah, a lot of them do. Not all Texans. There no, are a few no. women in Austin who are, you know, probably don't. But most most of the ones you'll meet out in Texas. From what I've like heard, that. Austin might be literally the most hipster place in the whole United States. Oh, yeah. Just just considering what's all around them, they have to slingshot the entire other way, pretty much. Right. The other end of the spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> now, starting in 1840, William Henry Harrison the man who had raised Prophetstown to the ground and won the Battle of Tippecanoe would use this fame to vault himself to president, attaching the phrase Tippecanoe and Tyler too, referring to Harrison and his running mate, John Tyler. Now, the pair would win the office of presidency in 1840 and would be inaugurated in March of 1841. Though he gave an exceptionally long speech at his inauguration, this without an overcoat or a you know scarf or anything like that, because he was a tough boy. And this would happen on a very cold and damp day. He would die of pneumonia a month later in early April, spending less than a month as president before John Tyler would take over. He actually became the first president to die in office. Okay. Um it's funny when you were reading this, it came to my mind that I had a wild guess that William Henry Harrison was the type of gentleman who probably hadn't seen his penis in several uh, <laughs> several years. And the fact that he was out there with, a, you know, no coat and stuff on kind of lead a credence to that. Um, I didn't even know we had a president named John Tyler. Yeah, he's not. Uh, there are some presidents that aren't as popular as others. So he's kind of, I mean, John Tyler, not really known, just kind of, you know, he wasn't elected really. So he was just kind of Harrison's guy. Uh, I don't think he even got reelected. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I can't say I feel bad for William Henry Harrison. He kind of sounds like a cunt, but, uh, but okay. This, if anybody should die from the curse, it's definitely him. Oh yeah. I mean, he's the one that the curse was supposedly, if you believe in it, aimed at it, it was for him. So it's almost like the curse affected him and then it went after anyone who happened to be, you know, like elected president in kind of with the zero at the end of the year. So um, almost kind of like it ricocheted off. Maybe this is why I've heard of this guy before, because he spent the least amount of time as a U.S. president, right? Yes, he did. Okay. He was in he was in office for less than I believe. I believe it was only like 32 days. It'd be pretty hard to beat that. Oh, yeah. It's amazing that Biden has lasted this long with <laughs> who knows. I mean, he could go any day, but he was also actually elected in a year ending in zero. So okay. we're, we're still on watch for him. Uh oh, yeah. Next up, 1860 election. Abraham Lincoln, the third president actually to die in office, was, of course, as we all know, assassinated famously at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. during the waning days of the American Civil War. He had been the second zero-year president to die in office that had been elected, like, you know, the curse goes, during a zero year. With Zachary Taylor being elected actually between Harrison and Lincoln, 
he would die 16 months into his presidency. This occurred either from cholera or possibly a combination of acidic cherries and iced milk. Is that known to kill you? <laughs> I don't exactly know. It might have been just the doctors, you know, taking a stab at it. So there are other doctors who think it was cholera. I mean, I would assume that was one of the, what, like big three or four diseases that wiped out almost everybody. Cholera, typhus, tuberculosis, and I'm forgetting one. But uh, yeah, those ones like killed a lot of people. So smallpox, I believe. Yeah, probably smallpox. Um, yeah, I could just see this. Just imagine this Garfield guy going like, oh, give me a glass. Or no, I'm sorry, Zachary Taylor. Give me a glass of cherries and ice milk, would you, <laughs> darling? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly which doctor thought it was acidic cherries and iced milk. It's just it's kind of a joke now that, you know, he would assume that it's, you know, cherries and milk that killed him when there are so many more deadly things that killed, you know, tons more people like cholera. You so. know, mate, you know who else would probably say something like this? You know, he, he, like someone who's like an, a holistic uh, health specialist on Instagram, you know, they might say, yeah, he got shot in the head, but I bet the real cause of death was his obsession with acidic cherries and iced milk. Not good for you. Yeah. As they try to pass off like some fucking advertisement for <laughs> <laughs> what is one of those fucking companies that sends you the health food in we the mail. We got squirrel testicle dust said to re <laughs> invigorate you and make your dick oh, as veiny as shit. <laughs> yeah, dick as veiny and hard as possible. As Alex Jones whips down his pants. See this fucking dick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Less famously assassinated, President James A. Garfield was actually murdered in office less than five months after his inauguration in March of 1881. When on July 2nd, 1881, Charles J. Gatow, angered by being denied a diplomatic position by Garfield, also possibly suffering from you know some mental defects, shot him at a Washington, D.C. train station. He was executed the next year, being hung from the neck. Garfield stole his lasagna, maybe, huh? No. Um. So <laughs> I didn't know about this one. Do you think these words have ever been muttered by somebody? Like, it was... <laughs> you can't... I, never mind. Um, and it, <laughs> oh, James A. Garfield, top five president. Definitely yeah. should be on Mount Rushmore. Yeah, no one's ever said that. Definitely. Uh, no, I was going to say, don't you remember the good old days when it was easy to assassinate a president? <laughs> you remember, oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. The weird thing is it happened after Abraham Lincoln. So, But I mean, I don't know. You can't even get close to a U.S. president now. Oh, definitely. No. Yeah. It's amazing that the assassination of attempt on that I'll mention later, Ronald Reagan, even occurred. Um, you think nowadays that would never happen. So no. the way that he was nearly killed. No, it's yeah. But um, and by the way, FBI, if you're listening, I was totally joking about that. <laughs> Don't <laughs> leave us alone. They're probably more angered about other shit that way. So I wouldn't even worry about it. Very true. Next up on the list. William McKinley, also assassinated, having been elected for a second term in the year 1900. He was shot by a self-styled anarchist named Leon F. Kosglov. 
who had claimed that McKinley was an enemy of the people. This was most likely due to the president siding with big business over the American people. Uh, this really kept him always at odds with populist candidate Williams Jennings Bryan. Uh, he was actually found guilty and sent to the electric chair the very next year. Leon was. He uh, got a ride from old Sparky there. Man, yep. if the, if everyone was like Leon, there wouldn't be a single president for probably, what, since Nixon? Like, oh, like, yeah. Like it, looking out for big business. Yeah, looking, being on the side of big business. Yeah, yeah Williams Jennings Bryan was really big, like as a presidential candidate, trying to go up against the, uh, he was a trust buster, as it was known back then, uh, trying to get all of these massive mega corporations, well, what people thought of mega corporations back then, trying to get them broken up. Actually, so. uh, you know, as we know now from hindsight, the greed was really out of control in this time period. And obviously we know what comes because of that in the uh, in the old 30s there. Oh, yeah. The the robber barons. Yeah. Yeah. There was actually, well, you know, between this point and the Great Depression, there was kind of like a progressive era where a lot of these things were starting to turn the other way. But yeah, a lot of the uh, the roaring 20s saw a lot of regulation kind of go by the wayside. So, yeah, yeah, it was I mean, we people are greedy now and it's really bad, but I, it might have even been worse back then. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, speaking of the roaring 20s, Warren G. Harding, he actually died most likely from a heart attack. This occurred on August 2nd, 1923, at the young age of 57. Uh, his presidency was famous or perhaps infamous for the Teapot Dome scandal, uh, which really no one cares about now. So I'm what, not is the, what is what is that? It. Well, it's OK. So basically, there were some naval reserves of oil that were sold to private companies. And there was it was a no bid situation where these private companies just kind of like took the oil and gave money for it. And it was, you know, if money went into some pockets, palms were greased, that sort of thing. Yeah. Same shit that happens nowadays. Definitely. Yeah. They got a deal. Only back then they actually investigated. They actually cared. Yeah. Yeah. We, we they, they don't care. No, 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 no. Okay. Well, I mean, so far, this is kind of spooky. How many of these have lined up? Yeah. They've, a lot of them have lined up. Um, most of them have been assassinated. Only a couple of them have died of natural causes. Uh, the next president we're going to talk about, obviously, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He died in office uh, from a cerebral hemorrhage. He actually was. The longest serving of any of these men, obviously any U.S. president, he was just elected to his fourth term when he died, though he had been elected during a zero year, 1940. And that's kind of how he fits in with all of this, though. I mean, this motherfucker, he, couldn't died, even walk. he died a very he was he was pretty old. Yeah, so. this motherfucker couldn't even walk. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, you know, obviously, FDR in American history is quite legendary. The big uh, evil socialist who created um, Social Security, you know, evil man he is. So, but yeah, he he had a lot of health problems. It's amazing that they elected him again, even though, it, you know, stories were coming out kind of how his health was going to the wayside and he wasn't making as many public appearances anymore. There just really wasn't anyone who was willing to challenge him that was kind of like worthy of taking him down at the time. And World War II would make, you know, 
more popular people coming up, but they hadn't stopped fighting yet. So he died actually before Japan had surrendered. So World War II was still going on. You know, famous Harry S. Truman was the one who dropped the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which the, ended the war. The old uh, awesome picture of FDR, Churchill and Stalin all <laughs> sitting there. Quite a picture there. <laughs> yeah, they're all just they're all uh, having a jolly old time. They're just laughing I, I at mean, Stalin. Just <laughs> I was going to say, I think FDR and Churchill are fine, but yeah, Stalin's kind of the odd man out in that picture. Yeah, that was the joke because they're both kind of like like genial with each other, and then Stalin's just sitting there very stoic. Though, so. obviously, do you what? think his um, extreme paranoia had kicked in yet? Oh, which one? Stalin, Churchill, Stalin. or FDR? <laughs> Stalin. Oh, Stalin? He was born fucking, yeah, no, all sorts of fucking, you know, just jealous and, you know, always thinking someone was coming after do taking think, him down. Do you so think, it was always. Do you think that he had, like, I mean, there are certain mental issues, like, that make people super paranoid like that. I always wondered, like, does, could he have had one of them? Anyone who seeks being the, you know, president of the United States, being the prime minister, being the, you know, premier of Russia, whatever, they're all got to have something wrong with them. I mean, to want that much power to actually go out of your way to put yourself, you know, that sort of focus, you've got to have something, maybe a little like a wire cross somewhere. So yeah. it's kind of like a... Um, they always kind of look at like sociopathic behaviors in leading politicians, that sort of thing. Kind of like um, the excesses that they, a lot of them share, you know, always like, you know, poon hounds, basically drugs, kind of living to excess, going along with this, you know, thirst for power kind of deal. I'll live forever mentality, but basically. What I mean is like Stalin was so paranoid of his own people, he was killing them, right? Oh, yeah. He was killing people in his inner circle. Because he was, he would raise up his own inner circle. Like someone in his own inner circle was like really calm, good. He would raise them. Then he'd be like, oh shit, they're too powerful. Then he would take them out. And then he would Photoshop them out of photos. Like they never existed. Yeah. I thought, you thought, you thought Stalin was your best friend, your biggest ally, always had your back. And then he rubs you and your family out like the but, next day. So. Okay. So this is, I, I always heard it was because he was paranoid. They're, they're trying to kill him. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Trying to kill him, trying to exile him. Basically, he was imposing, you know, transposing whatever he would do in their situation, like to him. That's kind of how I always feel like those types of leaders or people, what they're doing. Like, oh, of course, they're trying to assassinate me or, you know, ex, you know, take me out, send me out of the country because that's what I would do to them. Gotcha. You know? Okay. Gotcha. Final, finally, uh, John F. Kennedy elected in 1960 after defeating Richard Merlehouse Nixon. <laughs> he was the last president to actually die in office as of recording this episode to this point. Having been assassinated in Dallas, Texas, uh, supposedly by the lone gunman Lee Harvey Oswald, he was shot while riding in a convertible limousine, uh, like everyone knows, waving at fans in a motorcade at Dealey Plaza. Yeah, I I do appreciate you not just saying it was a lone gunman, um, but but yeah, he's yeah last successful assassination there. Obviously, is he the last president to die in office too? Uh, yes. yes, yes, he is. Yep. Okay, 
yeah, it's uh, yeah, obviously everybody knows the video where he, the top of his head explodes off in the in the Lincoln Continental there. Um, and we'll have to cover him someday, but yeah, it's okay. I mean, this is like over a hundred years of pretty steady uh, every twenty years happening. Yeah, I, I mistakenly said um, over 200 years at the beginning of the episode. I meant over a century because it's 120 years from 1840 to 1960. And then uh, 20 years later, uh, Ronald Reagan, he's kind of considered like when the curse was broken, the end of it. Okay, and how did he break it? So Ronald Reagan had actually survived an assassination attempt, having been hit by a bullet that ricocheted off of his limousine. The bullet had been fired by John Hinckley. Hinckley was actually able to get all six shots off that he had in his gun. Uh, he had hit four men in the process, including Ronald Reagan. Though Ronald Reagan obviously would survive, even making a full recovery. Now, the excuse given by Hinckley was that he wanted to shoot the president in order to impress actress Jodie Foster. Maybe. I, you know what? Maybe Jodie Foster was the only way to cure it, cure the curse. Possibly. She might have been descended from, you know, somebody in the <laughs> in maybe like one of the thousand men that uh, William Henry Harrison had with him. Could have been. So so I, this assassination attempt, I always think, is really interesting because Jodie Foster, or I'm going to assume John Hinckley, obviously a very mentally sick man, right? Yeah. So... I think the movie at the time that put Jodie Foster out was the movie Taxi Driver, <laughs> which is literally <laughs> like a the best. Have you you've seen it, right? I believe I've seen it. Uh, not for years, though. So basically, it's the, we look at it now as like an incel movie, right? So yeah. basically, De Niro is a cab driver who's obsessed with this like thirteen year old prostitute, which is. Jodie Foster, and he has to save her by killing all these people and all this shit. Um, so I'm like, Jodie Foster had to have been like, had an under, I mean, 13, 14, 15 when he shot Reagan. Yeah, it's a little bit weird. Um, so kind of the morals, or I guess the morals were the same, but the laws were different, whatever. But maybe back then, you know, Obviously, he had just tried to kill Reagan, so that probably wasn't seen as like the weirdest thing about him was fawning after a fifteen-year-old, you know, actress. So. But the th the thing I was thinking, I always think, is like in this guy's head, did he think he was being De Niro's character and he had to save Jodie Foster? Oh, I have no idea. I think he just wanted to shoot the president. Just because, you know, the fucking shit in his head was telling him to. Yeah. I have no, I don't, I have, honestly, I haven't really looked into it. So recent history is not my biggest, you know, my best history subject. I'm more, you know, before, like World War II and, and prior is my areas. Oh. So I don't, I've never really looked into this, but I do remember kind of like, I've seen video of this a few different times where they basically kind of like, it's almost like the person you know, doing the video, actually recording the video, um, kind of sees Reagan being rushed into his car and just the pandemonium that, you know, ensued afterwards. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of one of those weird things, like almost if the video camera wasn't there, would there be a lot more 
kind of like conspiracies about it, like there was with John F. Kennedy's brother, Robert, Bobby. Oh, for sure. Because then people can kind of just say, you know, let their mind wander about what actually happened in their head. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you don't have like the proof right in front of you, if there was actually, you know, cameras back there that filmed it, um, there would be a lot less, you know, conspiracy theories about it one way or the other. So was it Sirhan Sirhan by himself or was it the polka dot lady? You know, that kind of deal. Uh, By the way, before we continue on here, taxi driver, 1976, the assassinate or attempted assassination, Ronald Reagan, 81. So let, you know, not super far away. I'm sure it took this guy a few years after the movie's released to actually watch it. So, you know, could be, couldn't be. I don't know. That's my conspiracy within a conspiracy. Okay, gotcha. So, like I said, um, that pretty much is thought to have broken any, you know, curse if it does exist. The 2000 election, George W. Bush, there were actually two different assassination attempts, though there were never, you know, anyone actually, like, like trying to kill him. There were uncovered assassination attempts. There was also one pretzel incident. It's kind of a big story at the time. So, George W. Bush was laying on a couch. He was eating pretzels. And he choked on one of the pretzels and passed out and fell off the couch and had a huge bump uh, on the side of his face. So, I mean, that might have actually taken down George W. Bush. Awesome. You forgot the woman throwing a shoe at him. Was it a woman or a man throwing a shoe at him? <laughs> I don't know. I, Somebody I remember threw a shoe at it him. was I believe it was in Iraq. And I think he yeah. ducked both of them. He ducked them. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he was pretty quick with the shoe. Pretty spry. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, honestly he, looking looking back on him now is I mean he was a you know decent human back then we didn't think of that great of him but you know pretty funny actually yeah he not a lot going on upstairs yeah I mean a good guy to you know one of those people you want to sit next to at a bar you know more than want to be your president but <laughs> right. yeah pretty genial <laughs> now getting really to the end of our episode kind of Picking up where we left off with Tecumseh, following the Battle of Tippecanoe, interstate politics between England and the United States moved ever more towards war, with Tecumseh's Confederacy actually joining the side of the British, uh, once again gaining the aid of the British Empire against his enemies in the United States government was the Shawnee people. Tecumseh actually saw success fighting against the American military in the Great Lakes region of Canada. Like I mentioned, uh, these countries had native populations fighting for them out in the frontiers. Though he was killed during one of the battles and his confederation was broken up in October of 1813. This battle was the battle of the, I don't know if it's the Thames or the Thames. Because in England, I believe that river is called the Thames. But it's T-H-A-M-E-S, Thames. Either one works. Okay, so he actually convinced the British to help him? Well, it's more like they had a common enemy. So when he first went to the British for help, they were not really wanting to go to war with the United States. But when war with the United States came at the War of 1812, then it's like, well, we have a common enemy and technically at war with them so we might as well fight together so yeah and i suppose they're still a little sensitive about what had happened (laughs) about 50 years earlier yeah i mean uh it was it was more a deal of kind of you know the british not seen as the americans like helping them 
uh, with the French kind of deal. That's how that's kind of how I saw it. Um, both the French and the British wanted the United States to help in the fight against each other. And when the British were told by the Americans that they were neutral, they didn't really like that answer. Right. Okay. That make okay. I get. I get what you're saying. Yeah. So this defeat and later death, and there was even some corpse mutilation of Tecumseh by American soldiers, also may be a possible reason for a curse being set on William Henry Harrison and the following presidents that I had mentioned. Um, After all of that, I really want to just kind of ask you, what do you think about this curse? I know that you love curses, and I'm not sure if you know think it's real or not. What do you What do you think of? I mean, I would definitely say if there if it is real, he definitely got his primary target, which is Henry Harrison. All the other ones, I don't know. There's a lot of weird coincidences there, so it kind of makes me wonder. I mean, you couldn't think of another man who would have wanted revenge more than than uh, than that guy. Yeah, there is a there's a ton of coincidences. Um, there's even like a president who dies not during the you know the zero year kind of he dies in between uh harrison and lincoln so it's there's also assassination attempts it's not like these were the only assassination attempts. there's actually been assassination plots against every president since richard nixon so every sitting president has had its assassination plots that kind of formed against them so if biden makes it at least two more years then we'll know the the curse were safe now or should be. Yeah. Apparent. Well, if he does survive to the end of his presidency, then it's kind of like confirmed that the curse is broken because it went all the way. George W. Bush made it eight years. So it's, it's one of those deals though, where George W. Bush was and who knows kind of like what real health of Biden is. So who knows if he if he makes it or if he doesn't make it, it's almost kind of like he's he's pretty old, you know? Yeah, because what is he or was Trump older than him technically or no? He was two years younger. I think they're like pretty, pretty much the same age. I know there's a two year difference. I know that. I know he's coming up on 80. Okay, so Trump must have been 76. And then I think Biden was 78. Yes. Yeah, I believe I believe so. So he's coming up on 80 right now. And Bernie is, Sanders is like 98. <laughs> 175 years. He, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, he's probably the spryest of all three of them, honestly. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But uh, I would I would put him in a marathon against. all. Definitely. <laughs> OK, tell me what you think of these curses. I OK, so originally I I like I really I also like curses. Originally, I didn't realize exactly how many presidents had died because really like some of those other presidents, they're like tertiary presidents, really. You don't really like Garfield and McKinley. You don't really think of them as like when you're thinking about presidents. I didn't even know that Zachary Tyler Taylor died in office and really. So, I mean, it's it. There's a ton of presidents that it happened to. But it also I mean, I do find a lot of coincidence with the things that happened. So. Yeah, I mean, it could just be, yeah, coincidence. I don't know, just for over 100 years, there's a lot of things that happened to those presidents who were elected on the zeros. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, it kind of, 
Tecumseh was such a like a polarizing figure, like folk hero among his people, that I, I do wonder if that still happened, if there was still the zero year kind of um, death of the presidents going on, who it might have actually been kind of pushed on if it wasn't Tecumseh. You know, if there yeah. was like, what would it have been blamed on? Like, is, would it just be a zero year curse kind of coming out of nowhere? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's uh it's interesting to think about. Hmm. I, I'm not certain. I guess we'll revisit this topic in <laughs> at least two <laughs> years and see, or six years if Biden gets elected again. We'll uh, we'll revisit and see if there if anything happens. I guess. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, really though. I mean, it's just really interesting. I didn't really know much about Thompson's story. Uh, I thought actually he died when he was much younger. He actually lived to be in his 50s. Oh, so wow. he was still still. Yeah, he was still fighting in his 50s. So, OK, well, I've heard the name before. I didn't know that much about him. But uh, but yeah, may, I mean, obviously, there's probably a lot more information about him. But uh, we got a pretty good chunk there. Now, Phil, Definitely. Uh, if anybody wants to uh, let us know about what they think about this curse or maybe if they've been to the place where this battle was, um, where can they contact us? They can hit us up on our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we love hearing from everybody. Great, you know, all the story episode ideas, you know, all the support. It's all great. Even easier way to get a hold of us, though, on our Instagram, Subliminal Deception Podcast on IG. Same thing, all the supports, all the likes and shares, everything. It's all great. Cody and I also have our own Instagram accounts. Mine is SDPodPhil. Cody, you have one? Yeah, you can follow me at Cody Zabub, uh, follow me. I'll try to follow you back. Send me a message. Do whatever you like. Uh, last thing we need you guys to do is log into iTunes. Leave a show a five-star review. Doesn't really matter what you say. Just five-star type whatever the hell you want in there and hit submit. Thank you to everybody who's taking the time to do that. If you're a Spotify listener, it's even easier. All you got to do is you hit the five stars, hit submit, you can even physically type shit in there. And thank you to everybody who's taking the time to do that. We see those numbers going up all the time. Thank you so much. Uh, Phil, excellent episode. Never heard of this curse before, but you have you have made me a believer. We'll see you guys. Right. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Bench Ferrens. Yeah, there you go. <laughs>